Are you paving the way for the life you want? Facing decisions that may affect you personally and financially? The Decision Dialogues podcast, brought to you by Modera Wealth Management, presents personal stories about navigating through life's pivotal moments. Narratives that we hope will inspire you as you create your own story. You'll learn what influenced their next steps and gain insights that could help you with your own critical choices. Welcome to Decision Dialogues. Thanks for joining us on Decision Dialogues. We're thrilled to have you along. My name is Mark Willoughby, and I'm a Principal Wealth Manager and Chief Operating Officer of Modera Wealth Management, LLC. Today, my colleague Jennifer Faherty, who is Chief Client Experience Officer at Modera, and I will be chatting with Ruthann Roth. Ruthann is the founder and managing partner of Astor Talent Partners, a recruiting firm focused on the specialized needs of the alternative investment industry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome everyone to the show and I'll hand it over to Jennifer. Welcome. Welcome Ruthann especially. Thank you for being here today as our guest. So as Mark mentioned, you are the founder of Aster Talent Partners. So why don't we start there with you telling us about your firm and how you founded the company. Great. Thank you. Um, Great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you all. So um, as Mark mentioned, we are an executive search and talent advisory boutique. We're a very niche player in that we focus exclusively on working with buy-side firms and our clients range all the way from newly created fund managers all the way to the more established publicly traded private equity firms that are household names for us all. So why that niche in particular? How did you come up with that? You know, we, I, you know, I started recruiting when I was living in New York and worked for a firm that was specialized in alternative investment. And when I went off on my own, really had the realization that, you know, I couldn't be all things to all people and decided to go with the strategy of just traveling in, in a pretty narrow lane and knowing it as best as I can. So It has, you know, it's been somewhat fortuitous that there's been so much growth and so much growing needs for talent and much more strategic talent to support the funds that are growing and multiplying. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Was it always that niche or did it evolve over time? It's been this niche. You know, we do some portfolio company work when it's something that's adjacent to finance, but we've been kept extraordinarily busy working primarily with private equity, hedge funds, and venture capital. That's great. And so you talked about having recruiting experience and then starting your own business. Were there reservations about starting your business? Or can you kind of give us a little bit of a story about how that decision happened? Yeah. As I had mentioned, I started recruiting when I lived in New York and moved home at the beginning of 09, which was sort of a as we all probably try not to remember, was a crazy time um, in the financial services world. So came back to California and sort of had a a little bit of a Frank Sinatra moment, I call it, of, you know, I want to do it my way Mm. and decided to go off on my own and and started my, my first recruiting company. And that was about 10 plus years ago. And looking back in retrospect, it was, I really was living in a, in a bit of an ignorance is bliss world you know, didn't realize how hard it would be in some ways, but on the positive, didn't realize how positive it would be in others. So I I wish I could say that I had a really well thought out business plan, but it was, it was really a, 
it was an opportune time for me both personally and professionally. And, and I'm delighted that I took that leap. That's great. And it's true. Sometimes that ignorance is bliss or that's not quite the right phrase, but like not, not really having that kind of experience before or, or plan really sometimes can have more ability to take risk or kind of, you know, kind of jump in. Right. No, saying I've always been a, a very risk friendly person in my life. And I, you know, again, as I, as I get into my, the later stages of my career and I, I look back and, and sort of marvel if that's the right word at the, the chutzpah I've had at earlier stages in my career and maybe would be much more calculated in those risks today. Hmm. Um, how, how long into your career before you decided to go out on your own? Just shy of 10 years in the recruiting business. Do you feel like you left at the right time to go out on your own? Or it, it sounds to me like maybe you you left a little bit earlier than you had intended. You know, it was a good time for me personally because, you know, going back to risk tolerance, which I think is a really important thing for any entrepreneur to sort of hold the mirror up and, and know what degree of risk a person is able to take. I was single, didn't have children, and was able to really, I was at a point in my life where I could take that risk. And, you know, I knew that my worst case scenario would be moving home and having to sleep in the twin bed in my old bedroom at home, which probably wouldn't have been an ideal thing for me at age, you know, at that age, at age 40. But, you know, knew that I would, you know, my, again, my worst case scenario was going to, was, was going to be okay. And that I would land on my feet. So one quick question before I hand back to Jennifer. So if I got it right, you combined deciding to found your own firm with moving back home across country, both at the same, roughly the same time. Uh, roughly the same time. Exactly. I mean, it was, it was a perfect, I guess, trifecta of events, just both with personal and professional. And also, you know, I was at a larger recruiting firm that was focused on financial services that was going through a period of distress as a lot of firms in the industry were, you know, it's almost counterintuitive, but starting a company at a time of distress when you have the opportunity to build the infrastructure, define who you are, learn, you know, prove to be valuable. And as a business owner... You must have had to surround yourself and still do with with good people and support. So in the beginning and also now, who do you surround yourself with? How do you help make your decision making easier with the support networks that you have? That's something I've definitely have had to work at. And as it's a muscle that I've developed because it, it's hard to delegate when you're a business owner and it's hard to also to admit that you don't know the answers to everything. And it's it's important to have somebody who's going to challenge you. You know, my husband, who is in investment banking and is very analytical, has been a tremendous sounding board for me. And the people who work with me today, you know, we all bring very different skills to the table. In my old age, I think I've developed a pretty healthy self-awareness around my strengths as well. And more importantly, a healthy self-awareness around my weaknesses. I think the point you bring up around hiring for your weaknesses is absolutely critical. Yeah. And, and you're in the recruitment business. So in some ways yeah. you're kind of applying that to yourself and kind of as you help other people do the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. There must be so many rewarding parts of your job. 
And I'd love to just hear about some of like what you find most rewarding in terms of, you know, both as, as a founder and managing partner, and then also in just your coaching capacity when you're talking to people and recruiting them. Yeah. I mean, working with people and people, and people make really big decisions based on the work that we do. I mean, 90 plus percent of, of the people who I place are professionals who are minding their own business until they get a phone call from me. And I take that very seriously because, you know, people are leaving jobs and making very impactful decisions on their both financial lives and their professional lives because of opportunities that we present them. And when somebody gets their dream job or you present something to them that they've never thought of before and created an opportunity, I, I think that's enormously rewarding. And, and I've also just in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this have found enormous satisfaction in what I've learned from people and the friendships and, and people that I've met from doing this. It's a relationship business and you have to enjoy being a relationship person and, and just being able to build relationships with people who are very different from me. I mean, I've recruited for different levels of positions throughout my career. And there've been times where I'm working with candidates who come from diametrically opposite backgrounds from mine and being able to find a point of commonality with those people and, and learning from them. You know, you never want to be closed from who you can learn from ha has just been tremendous. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you know, we have a lot in common in the sense of, you know, as financial planners, we kind of come across our clients and decision-making points of their lives. And, you know, and the, and the podcast is called Decision Dialogues. So you're really at the heart of that decision-making process. So I'm not sure if you can answer this, but do you see patterns or on how people make decisions or what some of those trade-offs are that they're looking at as they're making them? Yeah. And it's funny, every person or every candidate that I place has it you know does go through a very different process because people are at different points in their lives, whether they're the breadwinner for their family, whether they're going through personal situations, whether they have financial distress, whether they're able to make a financial risk. Mm -hmm. You know, those are all very important decisions. And and you know, one of the sound bites that I find myself saying when people say to me often, because you build such a trusting relationship similar to what you do with your clients. And when somebody says to me, Ruthann, what do you think? You know, I often find myself saying, you know, I can't play God in your life. And, mm -hmm. you know, people, I mean, just because I have a very high tolerance for risk and um, haven't always been as analytical about my decision making as others are, you know, you have to honor and respect the process that each person has. Let, let me turn to spotlight. This is, I think this is a good segue because what you said earlier about your own decision-making around setting up your own firm, we've spoken to a lot of folks on this podcast series, Ruthann, and many of them like you have started in the corporate world and have made a decision to be entrepreneurial at some point. And it, it's amazing to me to see the contrast in how our various guests have made their decisions. Some have been very analytical and have planned it out for two or three years. It sounds like we have a contrast in you in that you, you, you welcome risk. And it, it almost sounds like you are making your decision on your gut instincts. 
Am I right? Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And earlier when you had asked about the types of people I surround myself with, and I, I think of my husband, who's in investment banking, and you know, he thinks with his head, and I think with my, you know, with my stomach, right, or with with my gut. You know, my gut has, and my my intuition and my instincts have served me well in my career, but I can I can't say a hundred percent of the time. But you know, the, what's important, I think, is, is that you know, as as we as we do this series, you know, for some people, for some of our listeners, they need to be planned out, but. But for the folks like you who who operate on gut and feel, it it can still work out fine. It can still work out fine. <laughs> you can follow your own path, and for for you, I mean, it it seems that your gut, while not being precisely accurate, is accurate enough that you've had a tremendous amount of success. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been fun. I I feel fortunate that my brain works in a way that lends itself to the work that I do and to the decisions that that I've made. People like you <laughs> who operate by gut and instinct, when you look back, are there any parts of the decisions you've made that you've gone, "Oh my lord, why did I do it that way?" Is there any advice you can give to people like you? Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? I mean, while I think being a gut thinker and and working off of intuition is a very powerful skill for certain people to have, I I don't think, I think relying on good data is also really important. And there have been times where I've had an idea for a practice or a product where I was sure everybody would buy it and I probably should have taken the time to ask more people and to collect more data and and also just to crunch the num you know I not having a head for numbers thinking more analytically about like what is the true profit and baking in the opportunity cost of my time the opportunity cost of the time of my team and and everything else so I do think Things may have been, I mean, the result may have been the same, but the path from A to B would have been much more linear had I taken more time to really study the data. And it's really a balance, right? Because I've seen it both ways where people rely too heavily on the data, especially, you know, that we've seen this a lot in marketing lately too, where, you know, there, it's become much more data driven, which is great, but oftentimes they miss that element of the art of the marketing and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And recruiting has become like that too. I often speak about recruiting how it's part art, part science, because there's a lot of a lot of firms that we work with, they're in financial services. And by definition, financial services is a very data-driven industry. And people are trying to apply objectivity to something that's actually quite subjective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I love this phrase that you used about yourself. You said risk-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we deal a My lot big with MBA risk. Word, yeah. right? <laughs> um, how did that develop? Um, you know, is that something you were taught or, you know, did you just always remember being that way? Yeah. You know, my, my father, who was, you know, my hero and, and somebody who I, you know, really modeled myself after in a lot of ways, really beat to his own drummer 
and and was fearless in, mm. in a lot of ways. And I was always a very precocious child, not always to my, you know, to the best outcome, you know, maybe it, but I, I was always a very precocious and, and confident child, you know, well, why wouldn't I try to do this? Or why wouldn't I work out? Or why wouldn't this work out? Or, you know, why wouldn't this person want to be friends with me? And, you know, of course, there were a lot of hard lessons to learn through that in, in adolescence. But I, I think it's, it's always how I've been hardwired. So he gave you a lot of advice. It seems you're influenced by him. What other kind of advice have you had along the way that has helped? Yeah. One piece of advice that I, I wish actually I had learned earlier in my life is, you know, never confuse the need to tell with the need for somebody to know. Yeah. So that, that's been a good piece of advice. It's better to be kind than to be right has been another important piece of advice. And you, you know, just in this job, you, you learn a lot from all the people that you interview and the things that have made them successful and how they approach interpersonal challenges or difficulties. Because we talk a lot about that in the interviews that we do. And it's, you know, it's sort of accumulate, you know, accumulation of all the little, of the nuggets that you pick up over time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to pivot a bit. So I, I know we talked a lot about your business and the recruiting industry. I heard also that you're somewhat bi-coastal in some ways. I don't know if that's still the case. <laughs> Once upon a time, I never thought I would miss the United Lounge, but yes. It- <laughs> right. That's right. Um, how, can you tell us a little bit about that piece of, of, I don't know if that's part of your business or if that came out of something else? Very, very much. Very much. So my, my recruiting roots are in New York for the lion's share of my career, the epicenter of the the firms that we work with have been very New York-based. Interestingly, even pre-COVID, that has shifted a bit with California funds, a lot of capital flowing into California funds, both venture and in private equity. And so I have found myself, at least pre-COVID, a little bit less on airplanes than I otherwise would be, but usually it's it's about every six to eight weeks. And how has the industry and recruiting changed because of COVID? You know, it's been really interesting to watch. I think the biggest change is how people are viewing location because the workforce is a lot more mobile. People are making big life decisions and deciding to live in other places. We have funds that are relocating to other geographies. So there, there's there's a lot of uncertainty around that. And in some ways, you know, our jobs have become harder because where the talent used to be very concentrated on the coasts, today clients are asking us to do searches where the candidate can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's also a cost savings that's associated with that. For example, if there's a role that would cost just for the sake of easy math, $100,000 a year in California, is there an opportunity for that person to cost 100 minus X if we hire that person in in Arizona or in a city that costs less than in California? So I think in some ways our jobs are harder because the breadth in the the candidate world has just become a lot bigger. Absolutely. So you've had to pivot your business in, in some ways because of that? Yep. We definitely have had to pivot, but there, there's been some really nice silver linings to this business, you know, to to COVID as well. For example, we started a business around professional development, 
which I think clients, I mean, all organizations are looking for meaningful ways that they can create engagement Mm -hmm. and also show their employees that they're vested in their professional development, even though they're not physically together. So, you know, with the expectation that trainings, you know, not be done physically, we can spread one training across California, New York, Texas, London, you know, we've, we've had trainings where we've had several hundred people engaged. So that's, that's been a really nice silver lining for us and a nice pivot for us come for, from COVID. That's great. There's one part of your story that has me fascinated. Uh-oh. Well, there's plenty, but there's one particular. <laughs> so when you relocated back from New York, Ruthann, yes, and you set up your recruiting business, I think you mentioned that your epicenter was still New York. Yeah, I had very strong, I mean, I'm from the Bay Area and I wanted to be closer to my family. And you spent 10 years or so in New York City. Yes. And when you set up your recruiting firm back in California, the epicenter was still New York. It was. It Talk was. to us about that and whether you looked to network in the California area and build your business in the California area as well. That, that kind of has me intrigued. Yeah, that came over time. It, that came over time. I mean, having relationships and ties and trust in New York, even though I wasn't physically there, I, that's not something I would have been able to do earlier in my career. I had to, I, I think I was at a point where I had some really strong and meaningful relationships and, and some, some good reps, like enough reps to point to that the fact that I was physically not there all the time wasn't as much of a roadblock as maybe one would think. I also had a great team in New York. And then in terms of California, the market in California has always been a little bit different. It hadn't been as exciting and as busy, although I think that's changed quite a bit over the past few years. Actually, I had 2018, I think I did for the first time, I did more revenue in California than I did in New York. So you paid your dues in your corporate life building reputations in New York. You paid your dues. I paid my dues. So so your clients in New York after you moved to California didn't care that you're in California. Most of them did not. You mentioned you had a good team in New York. Did you did you start hiring out of the gate? I did. I did very quickly. I mean, I we were fortunate that we got busy very quickly. And I was also fortunate that there were a lot of people who I had worked with in previous iterations in my career who were open to a phone call from me to to work together again. Wow. Interesting. So so really New York drove your business early on and gave you enough time to start getting a foothold in the Bay Area. Exactly. Exactly. And what what kind of advice would you give someone starting off in a new business, whether it's in this industry or another? I have a few. I mean, the first thing I would say is, I mean, I'm I'm the person who everybody calls when they're thinking about these things. And I guess my sort of, I always tell people, I'm the person you want to call when you need that final kick off the cliff to do it (laughs) and to say, you know, it's going to be okay. Because it's really, it's a, it's a hard decision to make and it's scary. And I fully recognize that not everybody has the same risk tolerance and the same cushion that I had when I started my, when I started my business. So my first piece of advice is, is do it, you know, 
do it. And there, there's always going to be an element of closing your eyes and plugging your nose and jumping in. And, you know, if you're waiting to have all the answers before you start your business, you'll, you'll never do it. And, and the other thing I tell people is like, what you think is today, how you envision things and how it's going to be in a year from now, I promise you will be different. I, I cannot remember a time in my life ever where I haven't said, if a year ago today, you would have told me that I'd be doing X, Y, and Z, I would have never believed it. I mean, and, and that's that's the great thing about life. You know, it's unpredictable. It's fun. It's exciting. You know, you learn from your your mistakes. The other piece of advice I would give is that it's really important to take care of yourself in all of this. And when you're a business owner and people quit jobs and they join you and you feel, you know, a really deep sense of responsibility. But I I take a, you know, a a page from one of my favorite podcasts I listened to by um, Scott Galloway. And he always says, you know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first. My mother-in-law used to say that, Ruthanne. Yes. There was a nugget in there, though. I have to call you out because there was Uh a nugget. There was a nugget in there. So you're risk friendly. You you operate on your instincts and you're good. But I heard you say that you had a financial buffer. You were comfortable with a financial buffer before you went entrepreneurial. So it sounded like you felt comfortable from a financial perspective, taking a flyer, launching your own business. Yeah. At that time in my life, my financial burden was was different than it is today. I did, you know, I was single, I didn't own property, and as long as I had enough money to pay rent and you know, go out to dinner from time to time with my friends, I I was happy. So, I I had pretty simple needs, I guess I would say relative to my needs today where I'm I'm at a different point in my career and I'm I'm thinking about you know maybe there'll be a time when I when I work less and I'm generating less income and I I think my tolerance for risk today ironically even though I have a much I have a significantly larger buffer than I do then but my my tolerance for risk would probably be different today interesting because I I would not want to jeopardize my my ability you know my retirement understood you know, I, I would say just hearing you in the last half hour, I think probably one of the attributes of your success has been that you also know yourself very well. <laughs> it sounds like you knew you're very self-aware in terms of where you could take risk, where you couldn't, what you're good at, what your strengths are, and, and what maybe where you might want to rely on somebody else. So I think that also is something that we commend you for. And it sounds, you know, we're really happy that you've had the success that you have. Thank you. Thank you. And we'd love to end with the last question. What was the last non-financial related decision you had to make today? You know, what podcast I should listen to. Great. I'm a very, I I love podcasts. I love audiobooks. You know, I devour them voraciously. Do you have a favorite besides the Scott Galloway one, it sounds? I do like another one that has Scott Galloway, Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. A couple, a few books that I've listened to recently, um, Atomic Habits. I, I would recommend that to to everybody. Okay. I am a full groupie of Chris Voss and everything he's written. Never split the difference on negotiation. Okay, those are great resources. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks very much to Jennifer Faherty and to Ruth Ann for letting us listen in on their conversation. We appreciate your time and perspectives, and thank you for tuning in. 
We hope you'll join us next time on Decision Dialogues for more stories from successful business owners. So long for now. Thank you for listening to Decision Dialogues. We hope you found today's stories helpful for your own decision-making. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can subscribe on your preferred podcasting app or visit our website, where you'll also find show notes and important disclosures. www.moderowealth.com forward slash Decision Dialogues. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.